we're all, you know, we're all trying to uh, add things to ourselves so that we can finally define our define ourselves, and then everybody will get us, and they'll go, okay, that this is what you are. And then if you actually get there, uh, you will find it so empty that you'll realize that's really not what it's about. It's it's about not only you know just going with the flow, but it's about not taking it personal. You know, it's like the difference between. House, a house and my house is a world of difference and it's the my that's the problem you know so you can do all this without the my involved you know you can do it uh, in a way that it's not life isn't happening to you it's happening for yeah you know for the good of everyone it's just a it's like a it's a play it's a it's a it's a, it's a giant you know, field of consciousness dancing for itself, and you're here to make me happy, and or to kind of it's making itself happy. Cool. You know, it's like one soul. That's how I feel. I feel like you know, people say, "Well, I have a soul." You don't have a soul. There's no you, but I, I feel like there is a soul, and it includes everything. Yeah. And when you wake up in the morning and you feel like I'm the universe, you don't have to reach for the stars. You know, you can just let life happen. Yeah. And walk through the doors. You know. We'll have to about that. Sorry. Thanks very much. I'm sorry, hey, you've run out of time. Well, listen, you've made me very happy, so That's, thank you for oh, your good. time today, man. No, actually, I didn't make you happy. Right. You're I don't not, know who you've here. made happy, but no. there's a happy feeling just here. just a cluster of tetrahedrons. Still trying to figure this all out, man. But a pleasant one. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Nice to see Thanks. you. Thanks you, too. Right. You know, there's a, a phrase that bugs me. Oh, surprise, surprise, a phrase that bugs me. <laughs> I thought you meant that was the phrase. No. <laughs> yeah. Phrase that bugs me is when people say, there's a phrase that bugs me. <laughs> I thought you meant, oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> no. The, uh, the phrase that bugs me is when people say, you know, it's usually a reply or, or a retort. And that is, well, that's depending on your worldview. Mm-hmm. And that kind of irks me because you know what do you mean it depends on my world view so there's children starving you know somewhere in let's just say cambodia i think and, yeah go ahead and then some and then someone is going to try to you know marginalize that by saying well you know it depends on your world view no it doesn't depend on my world view there's people there's kids starving in cambodia damn it i look at that as a Kind of a blow off, and it's a way for someone to say, "Well, that's your opinion." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if that statement is true, then it's a bullshit conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it depends on your worldview. You know, like I really like a, a certain actor or somebody. You know, and mm-hmm. you say, "Well, that depends on your worldview." Okay. Well. <laughs> Sure, <laughs> but when we're talking about very um, real things, no, it's not dependent on our worldview. No. You know, and 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 this whole thing, you know, it's depending. I guess that could be depending on your perspective, right? I guess it's the same way. It's, that depends on your perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think the two words. Although they probably are trying to say the same thing, I don't think the the two are saying the same thing. Your worldview, I don't think, is the same as your perspective. Because we're very limited in our perspective. We couldn't possibly have a really 
complete worldview. <laughs> no, no way. Right. But we can have our perspective. And yes, our perspective is limited. You know? Mm-hmm. See how words and whatnot can really make a difference? Huge difference. Yeah, even though they kind of mean it's the also- same thing. And, and the, you know, you could say the two things and someone would just take them both for equal value. And then you also have to consider when you're speaking to speakers who English isn't their first language. Mm. Or what if, you know, because mm. that's even harder. Or what if you were trying to communicate in Spanish or Italian the ideas that you had, but it's not your first language. It's nearly impossible. Si. Si, señorita. <laughs> so you have to take that into consideration. Mm. Of course, we might not be uh, best suited to be taking advice uh, in a language that someone doesn't <laughs> speak well. No, but there's a lot of... Uh, Get the gist. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, I'm in a much better headspace regarding my music project that has taken over a year now to get to. Uh, Time being an issue and, of course, gear being an issue because it's going to be a, you know, recording project. Uh, I have to have a studio-grade gear in order to get um, a decent recording. Luckily, these days, that doesn't require the amount of money it used to but i'm excited about it because i think the gear is something that we're going to get a lot of use out of i think we're we're not only i'm not only going to be able to get a job done uh, a project accomplished um but i'll also be able to use it with the kids and the family to uh you know do music with them as well and multiple digital powered inputs so we can record drums. Yeah. So, heck, even uh, anchor listeners may reap some benefits. So, gear, what are we talking about here? I'm just talking about a digital interface, meaning something that allows me to plug a microphone into my computer. And a studio grade microphone that's it and another key element is my bass ukulele is in repair the pickups just went on it i think day two after i bought the thing so so that's getting repaired by the time the gear comes in i'll have to get it set up and um figure out how to work it and then hopefully not too much later the uh, bass will be fixed and we'll be ready to fly a lot of my songwriting comes from my bass <clears throat> the bass guitar is a great songwriting instrument because um, you can do both melodic and rhythmic um, things on it you know, you can convey melody and you convey you can convey rhythm on the bass rather well. Guitar and piano are great songwriting tools as well. Uh, if you're a good guitar player or a good piano player, but 
I, uh, I, I think my bass skills are a little bit better. <laughs> and I'm so excited about being able to play drums again, to actually play a real drum set. Although for this up-and-coming project, um, there are no real drums, maybe uh, percuss percussion things. But And, you know, I, I've shared my misery with you, so I might as well share my joy. Um, not only have my musical um, frustration sort of resolved, um, but so it has some of the frustration regarding my good friend's wedding, which I really wanted to attend, but on the same hand, really couldn't afford it under the circumstances. I mean, the thing is, when I do anything, I have a whole posse, right? And I'm not complaining. I love my posse, but I have a whole posse and I have a whole farm. So I have to make sure my whole farm's taken care of and I have to make sure that I have my posse taken care of. And the bottom line is I'm doing this project so I can take care of my posse. <laughs> and so I can take care of my farm. So lucky for me, he's a bright and intelligent human being, friend, brother, and uh, he understood. He understands. I mean, after a after a fuck you, he, <laughs> he completely understood. So thank you, my brother, for your understanding. And we will be with you in spirit. I wish you all the luck and love in the world. Integrity Radio.
Our ancestors understood origins by extrapolating from their own experience. How else could they have done it? So the universe was hatched from a cosmic egg or conceived in the sexual congress of a mother god and a father god, or was a kind of product of the creator's workshop, perhaps the latest of many flawed attempts. And the universe was not much bigger than we see, and not much older than our written or oral records, and nowhere very different from places that we know. We've tended in our cosmologies to make things familiar. Despite all our best efforts, we've not been very inventive. In the West, heaven is placid and fluffy, and hell is like the inside of a volcano. In many stories, both realms are governed by dominance hierarchies headed by gods or devils. Monotheists talked about the king of kings. In every culture, we imagined something like our own political system running the universe. Few found the similarity suspicious. Then science came along and taught us that we are not the measure of all things, that there are wonders unimagined, that the universe is not obliged to conform to what was considered comfortable or plausible. And again, if we're not important, not central, not the apple of God's eye, what is implied for our theologically based moral codes? The discovery of our true bearings in the cosmos was resisted for so long and to such a degree that many traces of the debate remain, sometimes with the motives of the geocentrists laid bare. So what do we really want from philosophy and religion? Palliatives? Therapy? Comfort? Do we want reassuring fables? or an understanding of our actual circumstances. Dismay that the universe does not conform to our preferences seems childish. You might think that grown-ups would be ashamed to put such disappointments into print. The fashionable way of doing this is not to blame the universe, which seems truly pointless, but rather to blame the means by which we know the universe, namely science. Science has taught us that, because we have a talent for deceiving ourselves, subjectivity may not freely reign. Its conclusions derive from the interrogation of nature, and are not in all cases pre-designed to satisfy our wants. We recognize that even revered religious leaders, the products of their time, as we are of ours, may have made mistakes. Religions contradict one another on small matters such as whether we should put on a hat or take one off on entering a house of worship, or whether we should eat beef and eschew pork or the other way around, all the way to the most central issues such as whether there are no gods, one god, or many gods. If you lived two or three millennia ago, there was no shame in holding that the universe was made for us. It was an appealing thesis consistent with everything we knew. It was what the most learned among us taught without qualification. But we found out much since then. Defending such a position today amounts to willful disregard of the evidence and a flight from self-knowledge. We long to be here for a purpose, even though, despite much self-deception, none is evident. Our time is burdened under the cumulative weight of successive debunkings of our conceits. We're Johnny-come-latelys. We live in the cosmic boondocks. We emerged from microbes and muck. Apes are our cousins. Our thoughts and feelings are not fully under our own control. 
There may be much smarter and very different beings elsewhere. And on top of all this, we're making a mess of our planet and becoming a danger to ourselves. The trap door beneath our feet swings open. We find ourselves in bottomless freefall. We are lost in a great darkness, and there's no one to send out a search party. Given so harsh a reality, of course we're tempted to shut our eyes and pretend that we're safe and snug at home, that the fall is only a bad dream. Once we overcome our fear of being tiny, we find ourselves on the threshold of a vast and awesome universe that utterly dwarfs in time, in space, and in potential the tidy anthropocentric proscenium of our ancestors. We gaze across billions of light years of space to view the universe shortly after the Big Bang and plumb the fine structure of matter. We peer down into the core of our planet and the blazing interior of our star. We read the genetic language in which is written the diverse skills and propensities of every being on Earth. We uncover hidden chapters in the record of our own origins. We invent and refine agriculture, without which almost all of us would starve to death. We create medicines and vaccines that save the lives of billions. We communicate at the speed of light and whip around the earth in an hour and a half. We have sent dozens of ships to more than 70 worlds and four spacecraft to the stars. To our ancestors, there was much in nature to be afraid of. Lightning, storms, earthquakes, volcanoes, plagues, drought, long winters. Religions arose in part as attempts to propitiate and control, if not much to understand, the disorderly aspect of nature. How much more satisfying had we been placed in a garden custom-made for us, its other occupants put there for us to use as we saw fit? There is a celebrated story in the Western tradition like this, except that not quite everything was there for us. There was one particular tree of which we were not to partake, a tree of knowledge. Knowledge and understanding and wisdom were forbidden to us in this story. We were to be kept ignorant. But we couldn't help ourselves. We were starving for knowledge, created hungry, you might say. This was the origin of all our troubles. In particular, it's why we no longer live in a garden. We found out too much. So long as we were incurious and obedient, I imagine, we could console ourselves with our importance and centrality and tell ourselves that we were the reason the universe was made. As we began to indulge our curiosity, though, to explore, to learn how the universe really is, we expelled ourselves from Eden. Angels with a flaming sword were set as sentries at the gates of paradise to bar our return. The gardeners became exiles and wanderers. Occasionally we mourn that lost world, but that, it seems to me, is maudlin and sentimental. We could not happily have remained ignorant forever. There is in this universe much of what seems to be design. But instead, we repeatedly discover that natural processes, collisional selection of worlds, say, or natural selection of gene pools, or even the convection pattern in a pot of boiling water, can extract order out of chaos and deceive us into deducing purpose where there is none.
the significance of our lives and our fragile planet is then determined only by our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. We long for a parent to care for us, to forgive us our errors, to save us from our childish mistakes. But knowledge is preferable to ignorance. Better by far to embrace the hard truth than a reassuring fable. If we crave some cosmic purpose, then let us find ourselves a worthy goal. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact. Is the knowledge that the atoms that comprise life on Earth, the atoms that make up the human body, are traceable to the crucibles that cooked light elements into heavy elements in their core under extreme temperatures and pressures. These stars, the high-mass ones among them, went unstable in their later years. They collapsed and then exploded, scattering their enriched guts across the galaxy. Guts made of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and all the fundamental ingredients of life itself. These ingredients become part of gas clouds that condense, collapse, form the next generation of solar systems, stars with orbiting planets. And those planets now have the ingredients for life itself. So that when I look up at the night sky, and I know that, yes, we are part of this universe, we are in this universe, but perhaps more important than both of those facts is that the universe is in us. When I reflect on that fact, I look up. Many people feel small because they're small and the universe is big, but I feel big because my atoms came from those stars. There's a level of connectivity. That's really what you want in life. You want to feel connected. You want to feel relevant. You want to feel like a, you're a participant in the goings-on of activities and events around you. That's precisely what we are just by being alive.